0: in case you missed it check out this presentation from last year's best of the best in pediatric surgery but also don't forget that the next best of the best in pediatric surgery is coming february 1st we have societies participating from all over the globe register through the link below and prepare yourselves for a knockout event see you there
1: First, we have for um, our first presentation of the event, and first from PAPS, we have Dr. Isabel Hageman. She's gonna, uh, or we're gonna watch her video from her presentation on per- perioperative opioid use in pediatric her- inguinal hernia patients. And then Todd is gonna start out with some commentary after that and start the com- uh, start the conversation. So let's get started with that video. Hi, my name is Isabel Hageman, and I will be presenting a retrospective audit on perioperative opioid use in pediatric surgical patients. Opioids play an important role in perioperative pain management in pediatric surgical patients. but can have serious side effects and increase the risk for representation to the emergency department and future opioid misuse. Also, there are no procedure-specific guidelines for opioid use like there are in adults. We aim to explore opioid use in inguinal hernia patients at the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne, Australia. The subjects were pediatric patients that underwent an inguinal hernia repair between May and December 2019. They were excluded if they underwent another procedure simultaneously or had an allergy or contraindication for opioids. The data was extracted from the departmental database and electronic medical record and, rec- and collected in REDCAP. The primary outcome was opioid use in the post-operative period, and secondary outcomes were opioid prescription at discharge, intraoperative opioid use, and non-opioid analgesia use, and all doses were converted to oral morphine equivalents. 150 patients were included in the final analysis and were mostly premature males with a median age of three months, and nearly everyone was opioid-naive. Median length of stay was 23.6 hours, and duration of surgery was 41 minutes. The majority had general anesthesia with the addition of a regional block. 20% of patients received opioids intraoperatively, which was mostly fentanyl. Postoperatively, 17% received opioids, which was mostly fentanyl in the PACU and oxycodone thereafter. 33% 33% of patients received opioids during their entire hospital stay and were significantly older than patients who didn't receive opioids. No patients received an opioid prescription at discharge. We found that increasing age increased the risk for post-operative and total opioid use, and there was also a significant association between female sex and total opioid use. Surprisingly, pre-operative paracetamol did not reduce opioid use, nor did it lower the doses in patients that did receive opioids. Addition of regional blocks significantly lowered post-operative opioid use, and general anesthesia was found to be a risk for total, but not post-operative, opioid use. So, opioids play a limited role in the pain regimens at the RCH, contrary to other parts of the world. Older age and female sex are factors that increase the rates of opioid use, while addition of a regional block reduced it. We found a wide variation in doses in patients that did receive opioids, which might be because pain assessment is difficult in young patients. We also found that patients with regional anesthesia only had much lower doses than in patients with general anesthesia, with or without the addition of a regional. In conclusion, adequate use of neuraxial techniques, reliable pain assessment tools, and pediatric procedure-specific perioperative opioid prescribing guidelines may help improve the quality and safety of care in this vulnerable population. Thank you.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Hageman for that that presentation. Um, I see why it was one of the finalists. I think that this highlights a big point that doesn't just relate to hernias, but the fact is one of the big changes I've seen in my practice over the last decade is I used to give everybody narcotics after surgery and I can't remember the last time I prescribed narcotics. So this is a big uh, slice of the pie. Uh, of all of the different procedures we do, just demonstrating how we really don't need to give what we used to. There was some questions I had for you. Uh, number one, the length of stay, the average length of stay was 24 hours about. Um, is, th- is that because, I mean, do you routinely admit your hernias? Uh, because our length of stay is probably an hour, uh, unless it's a, a preemie that fit the criteria for risk of apnea to stay overnight. So that was, that was my one question. Uh, another question I had is, um, I think it's fantastic. You do the regional blocks. You said it in some patients, um, are you doing any of these under spinal, uh, without any general anesthesia? Um, I'll tell you what I was totally shocked about men are wimps yet the females had the higher need for pain control. That totally shocked me because I would have thought the exact opposite, um, and, uh and I also want to talk about lap versus open if if that was if there's any lap and if you saw a difference so phenomenal paper this this is why this is going to be a great day it is, I would have never seen this paper had had we not had uh, an event like this to bring everyone together so thank you for presenting that So uh, Dr. Hagman, why don't you respond and then we can open up to the gallery for discussion
1: um Thank you Todd for your commentary. Um, to answer your first question in terms of um, length of stay, it's true that most of the patients, they don't actually, uh, they aren't actually admitted, but I think that the median was high due to a number of, yeah, preemies and um, uh, children that were already admitted to the hospital and then had inguinal hernia surgery as one of the reasons they were admitted to the hospital. So I think that kind of... Um, was the reason why the median was a little bit higher, but generally all the elective inguinal hernia patients, they only get admitted for a couple of hours and, uh, and they straight after it from the PACU, they go home. Okay. And then your second question, um, about the regionals and the spinal, I think.
0: Yeah. Do you, do you do any under spinal anesthesia?
1: Yep. Yeah. There's a couple in the spinal anesthesia. Um, but I don't think I um, actually did a sub-analysis on that specifically because it was too small yeah. to uh, to see the the sample and um, the differences in sample sizes. But yeah, that happens a lot. And it was found that general um, anesthesia was, was, a, was a risk factor for opioid use in general. So I think uh, we are definitely moving towards more uh, spinals only.
0: I, yeah, I have and, to... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: No, no, no,
0: go ahead. Well, I do have to say, I never knew, I think I'm way behind the times, as always, I'm like the slowest in the world to learn things. But this spinal anesthesia thing was new to me over the last month. Um, One of our anesthesiologists, Matthew Mitchell in Akron, uh, has been doing our cases that way. I can't believe they don't need a general. There's no PACU. There's just wide awake, you operate, and they don't move, and they go home. I'm like, this is going to change pediatric surgery. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think definitely seconds. in
1: the very, very young, uh, young, uh, ch- sorry. Oh yeah. I think in the very young children, especially it's easy to do a spinal because they don't really get, I mean, of course they're crying and stuff, but it's not like it's an older child that's really experiencing all the potentially traumatic, uh, things for, from being in the OR and being operated upon. And if it's, if it's a baby, um, then, uh because the, the median age was three months. So then I think, uh, yeah, it's very, it's ideal because especially in these young children is when you want to be careful with the narcotics.
0: Um, I, I totally screwed up and took us over way over time. Let me give 10 seconds to anyone on the panel that wants to make a comment. Yama, go ahead. Well, the, how, t- how, how did you ch- select three groups? I mean, the uh, general Arithelia and uh, all the uh, regional and the general the, the, and the, the regional one. How did you choose three groups? And is that the number one? Number two, two question is uh, the opioid usage amount is related to the length of operation? Did you do laparoscopic hernia of repair in your group?
1: Thank you, Yama, for your questions. Um, no, all patients were open, inguinal hernia patients, and um, Uh, I did do an analysis to see whether there was an association between length of stay and opioid use, and there wasn't, but it could also be that it's the relatively small sample size and not necessarily of all patients because there's 150 patients, but in general, there's such a small sample of these patients that actually receive opioids that it's almost impossible to do an analysis on that small group and then looking at their length of stay. Um, and in terms of the selection of the three groups, it was a retrospective audit review. So we just looked, yeah, in retrospectively, which patients received general, which only spinal, which both. Thank so you. we didn't select beforehand.
0: Yeah, it's a very nice, uh, elegant study. Thank you very much. for your
1: Thank committee.
0: you. Thank you. So, um, yeah, so I was sorry, we do have a little few more minutes left. Um, if anyone else wants to make a comment, we, um, was a, a question from, uh, the audience. Does anyone here on the panel have a comment or question, Sophie or Rebecca? Yeah, I have one, um, question. Was there any education done kind of on an institutional level around opioid prescription and kind of direction around that?
1: There wasn't at the time, uh, and there wasn't early before, um, but it was um, a couple of years, I think two or three years before this study that um, the opioids were placed on a, the, 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 the warnings around opioids and on which level of narcotics they were, was changed in Australia. And so I think that might have influenced definitely the, the use of opioids in, in, in the RCH. yeah.
0: There, there was a comment from Paul Losty. It says he has a question about the, the difference in the gender, sexual dimorphism uh, with narcotic requirements. How is this critically appraised? Um, I guess, again, the same question I had is just interesting to see that there was a difference in, in, in sexual and uh, in, in gender.
1: Yeah, I honestly find that super interesting because it, this is such a young population. So it's interesting to see that even in this young population, females have higher opioid dose requirements than males, because in the older populations, um, the theory could be that men are whims, <laughs> but they don't like to say anything about it. So So females will say, hey, I'm in pain. Can I get some painkillers? But... In this very young group of patients where there's no verbal communication on whether or not they're in pain, it is especially interesting to see that the females have higher requirements. And I'm not really sure why this is, honestly.
0: (laughs) Okay. It's very interesting. Any other final comments or questions? Man, we're ahead of schedule. That never happens. All right. Uh, Dr. Hageman, phenomenal paper. Thank you for this. And I, 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 we hope to see some follow-up papers because I think we are, we need to stop uh, giving so much narcotics and truly understand how we can optimize uh, pain control after surgery. Laparoscopy is going to probably be a good, good element of that, but all right. Uh, Thank Thank you so much.